In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who brings to us miracles to show us who He is. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what we're doing in this series, as I explained before, is that we're taking a look at the different things that the Christian church claims about Jesus Christ. The different things that we claim to know about who He is and what that means for us in our lives. And so last time we talked about that Jesus was the Son of God and what that claim, the effects that that claim had on our lives and recognizing that Jesus is a man like us but that he's also the Son of God. And so he's a little bit different than us. Which then becomes very much the reality today when we're talking about Jesus doing these miracles and especially this, his first miracle. And uh, yet, last time we kind of talked about how sometimes we don't actually want Jesus to be the Son of God. How we would sometimes rather Jesus just be a good example that we could follow. Or how we would sometimes rather have Jesus be just kind of a good moral teacher and we could sort of pick and choose the things that we liked that he said and the things that we didn't like that he said. We could say, well that's for somebody else, that's not for me. Well, that happened with uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, very famously happened with Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our nation. He decided that he he knew who Jesus was uh, better than the Bible did, and um, that somebody had come along somewhere along in the Bible, and they had added all of this weirdo, hocus-pocus magic stuff to Jesus, and Thomas Jefferson said, that's really not who he is. Uh, he, he, he was a very, very inspired, very enlightened teacher, but, you know, all of the, like, turning water into wine and healing people and saying that he is uh, he, the, the Messiah and that he's God, well, oh, yeah, that, that's not who Jesus was. Now, I realize that it's been about, oh... 1600, 1700 years since uh, he's even walked on the earth with us. But I know. Yeah. That, that's what Thomas Jefferson said. And so what he did was he um, uh, decided that he would go through the Bible and he would uh, figure out which parts of the Bible were actually Jesus and which parts of the Bible were, were sort of this hocus-pocus magic baloney stuff. And uh, he said, alright, well what I'm going to do is I am going to cut out the parts that are not really Jesus. And so he cut out things like this story that we just read in the Gospel reading. Because it's magical. And Jesus is real. And we have a problem really putting magical and real in the same category most of the time. Unless we're watching a Disney movie. And then all of a sudden, yeah, magic is very real. But... Even when we go to the Bible, we don't give God as much credit as we give Walt Disney credit sometimes. Because we say, well, that's just too magical. Jesus, he couldn't have done that. Um, To the point that where, uh, when Jesus does the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 and then the feeding of the 5,000, that uh, a lot of people say, well, really the miracle in all of that is that Jesus just kind of, you know, uh, jabbed them in the side a little bit so that they would actually share their lunch with everybody else. 
And so the five loaves and the two fish, those didn't really get multiplied. They just got, well, everybody had already brought their lunch and they were just being kind of coy about it. And then Jesus, by saying, hey, this is all the food that we've got, kind of guilted everybody into sharing their food. What a nice savior to have who guilts you into stuff. Right? Yeah. Um, which is another problem that we have with the miracle of Cana, especially here in the South, um, uh, that uh, Jesus is turning water into alcoholic beverages. Yeah. And a lot of them. Uh, and, and basically what the, the party captain for this whole big wedding party is saying is that you, basically that people are getting crunk. <laughs> at this thing, and that's why people serve the natty light at the end of it. Instead of at the beginning, but, and so that's why this doesn't make sense to them. But if you look at what the reading says, the reading is not just about some sort of weirdo magic trick. What the reading is really about, what this gospel story is really about, is who Jesus is. And as you look at who Jesus is and the claims that he's making, he has to make these claims through a miracle in order for you to get specifically what he's all about. And you couldn't get that with just sort of a nice moralism. Or you couldn't get that with just Jesus saying, you should behave like me and go and turn water into wine. But you get that by seeing what he's doing And then saying, he's doing something. What does that mean about him? This is really biographical about who God is, who the Son of God is, who this Jesus Christ is. And then that biography makes a difference for us Christians who follow him. And so as we start to get into this... It's First John 2, and my translation is going to be a little bit different than yours, uh, because I can never seem to synchronize them. Um, and, um, and, and it starts off at the third day of the week. A wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. And this wedding, these were a big deal. These were a multi-day event, a multi-day party. And uh, what you, I mean, your reputation was really at stake here. And uh, the, the, actually, much like um, receptions today, your, 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 your reputation is sort of at stake if you're throwing the reception. This is much like that. And so what you have going on here is that uh, these people, whoever they are, the Bible doesn't actually tell us, they're putting on this party and they've actually made a faux pas. Uh, they haven't ordered enough food, they haven't ordered enough wine, and now they're sort of, sort of a, a little bit chancy on what things are going to turn out to be. Maybe this isn't going to be such a great celebration after all. Maybe this is actually going to be a disaster. And so they go to Mary, who apparently knows the couple pretty well, and uh, because I don't think that they probably told everybody at the party, hey, we're running out of wine. Slow it down a little. But, but they go to their best friends and, and try to sort of figure out how to solve this problem. And they go to Mary, and Mary finds out that they're running out of wine. And then when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Uh-oh. 
And then what, what you have is this great line that Jesus fires back to his mother, which I think I would have been hit. <laughs> woman. Yeah, woman. Not dear woman. Woman. The NIV has dear woman. They're, they're just trying to make Jesus a little bit nicer than what he actually was. Woman. Why do you bother me with this? My time has not yet come. And it sort of makes you you think, wow, Jesus was a little bit spiky at the beginning. What's he doing talking to his mom this way? But if you think about it, what Jesus is is saying here has a lot to do with who he is. Think about the last time that you were at a wedding. Think about what everybody is thinking about if they're at a wedding. And maybe if you can remember that far back, or maybe you're in that place right now, when you were single at a wedding, what happens is you, you if you're already married and you're at a wedding, your, your mind naturally turns back the pages to your own wedding. And you start thinking about how that day was and what that day was like. And uh, if, if you're single, you're not married yet, and you're still looking forward to that day in the future possibly, when you go to a wedding, what you start to think about is you start to think about what your own wedding might be like. And so you're there and you're like, oh my goodness, I would never get that bridesmaid's dress. No way. Well, Jesus is probably thinking about the same thing. It's not that Jesus is going to marry Mary Magdalene. Uh, you can read the Dan Brown novel for that. Which is fiction, by the way. Um, but what Jesus is thinking about is his marriage with his bride. The church. Us. And he's thinking about that and probably consumed with the thoughts of how that is all going to happen. And Jesus already knowing how that's going to happen is probably especially perplexed and thinking about that event in his life. Because he knows what that's going to involve. That that's going to involve him having to be arrested and then tried and then scourged finally hung on a cross to die raised again from a tomb and then eventually one day one day that still has yet to come coming back and bringing to us the bridegroom Himself, in our wedding party, which will be the resurrection. When He comes and He lifts us out of this world of sin and death. And He's thinking about those things as He is in the midst of this wedding party. Thinking about all of that stuff while He's watching this young couple maybe have their first dance and feeding each other, well, maybe not cake, but matzah. Um, He's thinking about his 
marriage to the church. And how great of a thing that's going to be. And it continues. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So it's kind of interesting. You you see Mary kind of uh, see through that Jesus is is sort of a little bit preoccupied thinking about that time when he is going to get married. And she knows who he is. She knows that he is the Son of God. I mean, she had an angel come to her and tell her that. She had these bizarro guys from Persia show up on her front door when Jesus was probably about two and say, uh, we've come for the king, Uh, we have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, Mary has known, there's something about this boy. This boy is the son of God. I know that I can rely on him. And so she goes to these servants with that knowledge, with that faith, and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus knows what... He's going to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial cleansing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. And then John explains to us what is happening with this miracle. And he says, This is the first of his miraculous signs, which Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in them. You see, I think a lot of the time what we think about when when it comes to miracles, when we're praying for miracles, when we're praying for God to do something in our lives, is that what we're asking for is sort of a magic trick. We're sort of like, hey Jesus, um, ran out of wine for my party. Um, So, could you do anything about that? And it's all sort of focused on us. But what Jesus is doing in this miracle is he's actually, the focus is actually not on us. The benefit is received by the people at the wedding, but the focus is not received by the people at the wedding. You don't even know what their names are. The focus is on Jesus. The focus is on who he is. And the focus is saying... Who I am is this person who is bringing a miracle into your life. Who I am is the bridegroom of the church who is going to suffer for his bride. Who I am is this person who can transcend the normal order of things working. So that it benefits you, but it focuses on me. And that's exactly what happens on the cross. What happens when Jesus goes to the cross is that on that cross the focus is not on you. The focus is on him.
The focus of the wrath and the pain that we should all deserve as sinful human beings, that focus is on Jesus on that cross. And miraculously, He's able to take it all and have all of that focus on Him to the point where a miracle happens in that the very Son of God does what God maybe we think should not be able to do, which is die. All of the focus being on Him for the sins of the world, the sins that we commit every day. And just like the wedding at Cana, even though the focus is on Him, the benefit is received by us. Even though the focus is on Him taking those sins into Himself and dying on that cross for us, He doesn't receive the benefit. He doesn't get to drink the wine. He doesn't get to say, you've saved the best for last. Instead, He gives that privilege, that joy, that celebration to you. You're the one who gets to be the master of the feast and taste the wine and say, this is amazing. You have saved all of this for me. The best of all of creation you have given to me in the forgiveness of my sins, in my baptism, in making me your own, in giving me your Holy Spirit. You get to be the master of the feast. Reveling in what Jesus has done for you. In taking the focus and putting it on Himself. And giving you the benefit. That's what a miracle is. It's Jesus showing you who He is. And showing you how you benefit from having your focus on Him.